Went two three zero two zero Gus two six. Thank you. Four three six six two two going around. Two six fifty six six two. You have five hundred heading to McClamick and two thousand contacts at Norfolk. I want to four four nine. The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. You're listening to Squawk Eye Den, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the challenges that a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. legacy carrier with close to 20 years on the flight line. Welcome aboard Flight 105 of the Squawk Eye Den podcast, recorded on the 21st of March, 2022. From the mobile Aviator Sound Studios high atop the seventh floor of the Sheraton Gateway Hotel in San Diego, California. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? On today's flight, Rob D and I discuss late night meals and how to manage bad eating habits when you're at the mercy of difficult flight schedules while out on the flight line. We will also talk about hard landings, overweight landings, and heavy landings as well. Last week, I had pilots occupying all of the available flight deck jump seats going and coming into and from Nashville, Tennessee. We'll discuss the 33rd annual Women in Aviation Conference that took place March 17th through the 19th this month and what WAI offers aspiring aviators. We also have a chance to hear some audio updates from Alex D on his progress in his Sandpiper training. So stay with us while we run our final checks and we prepare to push back from the gate. Flight 105 of the Squawk Eye Den podcast is officially underway. Before we begin, I would like to again thank Captain Rob Kosand for joining us on Flight 104 of the Squawk Eye Den podcast entitled The Speed of Heat. I won't spoil it, but I will say that we look forward to hearing more about his journey and the influence his family has had in the aviation community. Joining us today is a superb aviator and Squawk Ident co-host. He is a former international and professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G Club at AMP and Avionics Tech, an RC Aircraft Commander, a boat skipper, a commercial drone operator, and currently an Airbus pilot for Legacy Airlines. The name we use here on the show is an alias to our employer, a U.S. mainline carrier. Joining us from his penthouse suite on the third floor of the Hyatt Place, where the Wi-Fi is shoddy at best, all the way from Savannah, Georgia. Help us in welcoming our very own Mr. Rob D. Rob, how you doing? Hey, Tony, I'm doing good. It's good to be back. I've missed a couple of podcasts here, so it's uh, time to get back in the saddle and get the show on the road. Yeah, you know, uh, our schedules for all of us have been tremendously difficult lately. You've had some family sure events that have happened that uh, took you up to the Northeast back in Rhode Island, and and I had That's some right. uh, family events that uh, had me changing my schedule around for the entire month, which has now put me in a position where I'll be flying pretty much every day the rest of this month except for two. So, uh, yeah, yeah it, it's been tough. Yep. Now, now, tell us about you. Last time we caught up with you... You were getting ready to do some 
trips up to the Northeast to see family. That's right. And you've yep. also had some volleyball schedules uh, getting back in the swing of things. How have you been able to keep up with all of it? Yeah, it's been absolutely crazy. I got to tell you, man, I, I don't know how, how, um, how I'm doing it. Uh, my wife is definitely uh, the glue in the household here. She's keeping everything together right now. Um, yeah, I've, I've had to uh, really be, been, be really creative with my schedule this month to uh, allow time for everything that I'm doing. I, I took uh, five days off and went to uh, the Northeast to visit my family. Uh, we have a five-month uh, niece that was born, obviously, five months ago. So took time to go um, visit her and my sisters and, of course, uh, my mom and dad. My dad's uh, pretty sick. Um, he's recovering from uh, – he joined the uh, amputee club. Uh, he had a, his leg amputated below the knee. Um, so he's been in and out of the hospital with that. But um, all in all, he's doing pretty good. But – uh, you know, um, it was nice to be up there to spend time with him and, and see the niece and all, all my other nieces and nephews up there. So, uh, that was fun, but, uh, with, you know, five month old and all the other nieces and nephews that are under seven years old, it, it, it really wasn't any time for, uh, for, uh, you know, a vacation rest or anything like that. Cause we were go, 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 go. And then if you commute conclude, you know, the commute to and from and all that, it's pretty exhausting. And of course, I worked right up to that trip. And then uh, as soon as I got back, I uh, jumped right back in the saddle and went out on a, uh, I think it was a three or four day trip after that. As soon as I got back, I think I had maybe one day off, but didn't feel like it. <laughs> I went right back on, right back to work and um, worked a trip and then had a volleyball tournament last weekend or no, wait a minute, worked a trip right after that. It was a three day trip backed it up by another three-day trip, which is kind of where I'm at now. And uh, as soon as I get home on Wednesday, on Thursday, headed back up to Indianapolis mm. for about five days for a volleyball tournament, mm. get back from that, jump right into a four-day trip. So basically, I'm nonstop all the way to the end of the month and transitioning into uh, uh, April. So <laughs> here we are. Wow. Savannah. And you still have time while yeah. you're on your layover to spend yep. the time with us. And I do thank you are. for that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you, I think and, most airline pilots or air crew members, they, we come to work to get some rest sometimes, you know, to get a, get yeah. a little bit of break from, uh, you know, personal life. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes your, your spouse or significant other doesn't understand that. They go, oh, you go to work and, you know, yeah. you get to have a beer or sit down and have a nice meal where you don't have to do any dishes and not make any yeah. beds and, and, and you come home and, you know, you should be well rested. <laughs> and <laughs> although, although coming to work to relax from the hustle and bustle, yeah. of, you know, family and, and all the responsibilities they're in still, I mean, we, we, we need to get our rest and we need to eat right. Yeah. And we need to kind of, yeah you know, stay on our feet That's because true. when we get home, there is no rest for the weary. <laughs> Oh yeah, and as most people can attest, if you uh, if you just travel for a living, you know when you you know just take one one flight, I mean it's exhausting. You know, I mean the air the whole stress and the whole airport you know environment, noisy airplane, and then you know getting to where you need to be that's that's exhausting. And you know, you and I and 
all the other crew members, you know, we built up a tolerance for that, but still, you know, we get, we're exhausted at the end of the day and at the end of our trip. So yeah, believe it or not, the pilots and flight attendants, they suffer from jet lag, just like everybody else. Yeah. yeah, We know how to handle it a little better than most. We are professional at what we do. We know how to, you know, get our rest when we can. We have the tricks, the hotel tricks on how to darken the room and, you know, use the hanger clips on the drapes and, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, you get the air conditioner. Temperature is set just right. Just where you want it. You know, maybe, you know, take that uh, cool bath before you, you know, go off Mm -hmm. to sleep. And, you know, there are all these little things, work out in the morning, whatever it is. We each get into our routines that works best for us. And Eat a big supper before you go. Oh, wait, no, is that oh, not part of it? That's the other way. Yeah. <laughs> but, and we're going to talk about that here in a little bit as well. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, because good. that's been an issue, uh, you know, yeah. and it's something I wanted to talk about. But um, but we have learned how to cope with it, but it doesn't mean we don't get jet lag. It doesn't mean yeah. that we don't get tired. It doesn't mean we don't need a day and a half to recuperate sometimes. Yeah, no, hell, sometimes I need two, yeah. more than two. Especially after yeah. those red eyes, right? Oh, the red eyes are the worst. Yeah, the red <laughs> eyes are bad. I I haven't done a red eye in yeah, it's probably been a year, maybe more than a year, but those really kick my butt. Uh and no matter how much you try to prepare for it and sleep properly, there's almost no way to really do it on a trip, especially when they do the red eye on the last day. Yeah. But um yeah, those are rough. Those are rough. I don't even know how those wide body pilots do it. I know they get to go back and you know, take a break and, you know, they work shifts and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't know if that's, I'm cut out for that kind of stuff. You know, know, they, they were um, dumping down our throats, all these definitions of how to have eight hours of sleep opportunity and and how to monitor your circadian rhythm and sleep debt builds up over time. And you can't just like sleep all of a sudden it takes days, if not weeks to recuperate. And they used to always just really shove this education down our throats and training for years and then sure. far 117 came out and they said well <laughs> actually uh you're not limited to eight hours you can actually fly nine hours depending on when right. you started and what theater you're in and yeah. all this consult chart table a and if table a doesn't explain it go to table b and when table b, b. does go to table d- <laughs> yeah yeah so you know oh, by the way you can go two <laughs> extra hours what we have on here anyway so yeah. Yeah. You can, you can extend a couple hours and, and yeah. it just, it's exhausting. It, it, it's just exhausting. And so it's very important to have a healthy diet, to exercise regularly, to get your rest when you can, and to minimize the stress in your life because all of it, it matters when you're behind the controls yeah, of an aircraft. Factor. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And I, I too, had uh, some time off. I had some uh, personal family issues that we had to handle uh, through some extended family. Um, actually attended a funeral a couple days ago from a yeah. distant cousin, which was both difficult because uh, he was young. Uh, he was uh-huh. a UPS, career UPS driver, had his own truck, UPS truck that he, you know, had his route that he had for years. And he had an adult uh, daughter and and he was a member of multiple car clubs in the uh, Southern California area. He had a VW club that he was a member of and contributor to, and a mini truck club, those little Toyota Nissan trucks that have all the hydraulics and stuff on them. Mm. Um, so, I mean, he was a, he was a car guy, uh, and we went to the funeral, and when we pulled into the church, 
we were like, is there a car show going on today? What? Why did? Why would they book a funeral the same day of a car show at this? What? It wasn't. There were dozens of mini trucks. There was about twenty or twenty-five oh. vintage VWs, all you know, souped up, chopped up. Um, we had combi twenty-one window buses. There was a Type Three a thing, VW thing. Uh, there was a fastback, mm. a notchback uh, there, Type Three. So we we really had a good time in the celebration of his life with his family and his friends and his coworkers. Mm. The UPS, nice. his UPS truck was driven um, behind the hearse, and ah. there were. Uh, probably nice a good 20 or 25 uniformed UPS employees there. The, un- the Teamster wow. Union was there. The words shared uh, at the ceremony were just inspiring to, to know That's that amazing. someone was loved that much by so many people. Uh, yeah. It was definitely something that I was very honored to be a part of. Uh, so, cool. So, yeah, so we were, we were busy. I had to move my schedule around. And uh, so now I've done the same thing you've been doing, the three-day trips backed up to each other, because you mm-hmm. could technically work six days straight. So you don't yeah. need the 30 hours of rest in between, according to the FAR 117, which defines rest for 121 operators. And so I've been doing this double, double ups. Um, so yeah, yesterday was, or day before yesterday was my day off, which was filled with, you know, the family event. and. Um, Mm. And yeah, and now I'm in day two of the first uh, three day of this sequence, and we were supposed to depart this morning, late this morning, and head back to Dallas. And I got got a text message (laughs) early this morning. I'm like, who the hell is calling me at this early morning? It was a friend who was in Dallas that said, "Hey, man." check your schedules are canceling a bunch of stuff here sure oh, enough yeah everything my entire day was canceled so i'm here in the hotel in san diego san diego um, it's a yes. fact it's the greatest city in the history of mankind <laughs> <laughs> discovered by the germans in 1904 they named it san diego which of course in german means a whale's vagina hmm. <laughs> No, there's no way that's correct. Keep it, well, keep it that's classic. how my day was today. I mean, I, I started on a three-day trip. I was supposed to be in uh, Madison, Wisconsin today. Oh, so nice. I started off going to Minneapolis, uh, Dallas to Memphis, uh-huh. Memphis back to Dallas. Well, before we even left Memphis, they already canceled our flight to uh, Madison. So uh they re- reassigned us to go to a deadhead to nashville that got canceled Ooh. and so here i am in savannah right now and so uh, we're supposed to fly savannah to dallas tomorrow morning but they even canceled that one mm. because uh they they don't uh, the plane that we're supposed to fly tomorrow in the morning was coming from dallas well, looking at the weather right now in Dallas, they have tornado warnings and all kinds of weather up there. So uh, that plane's not coming in. So they canceled that flight. And uh, we're supposed to work a flight out in the uh, tomorrow evening. So mm. we'll see if that goes. But yeah, yeah, we're just flex- being flexible. 
Yeah. Trying to, uh, yeah, I'll be here all day. Right. And, you know, sometimes you get lucky and you end up in sunny San Diego where there's three pools at this hotel. And, <laughs> you know, and sometimes nice. you, uh, you end up in Savannah near the airport. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not this ain't so bad. I looked out my window and I'm looking at the, uh, yeah, it looks like a little lake or a pond, but right across from it is a golf course. So there you go. It's a, it's a nice view. You know, I'm not looking at industrial warehouses or, you know, a, a wall or, <laughs> yeah, you know, the 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 window of another, you know, hotel guest. So right, <laughs> this isn't so bad. Yeah, and that's always you and know when you when nice. you check into these hotels sometimes, and Washington D.C. is is famous for this. You check into the hotels; the buildings are right next to the building next door. You open up your curtains mm-hmm. and you're looking right across at like twenty or thirty windows, and everyone's got their yeah. windows open, and you can you just sit there and you're like, "Wow, that's like <laughs> no privacy whatsoever." You know, nothing. Occasionally, yeah. you'll have someone out there sunbathing, and you're like, "Whoa, hello." <laughs> then you look over at the window next to you, and it's like your captain with binoculars. It's like, "Hey." <laughs> <laughs> Perf, put those away. Yeah. <laughs> I see what you're doing. <laughs> no, but here we are. Those are for work only. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's to see and avoid aircraft. That's right. That's Speaking of, uh, so you know, we're, we we talked about these off scheduled operations or OSO or you know whatever your company calls them. Um, and sometimes mm-hmm. you just have to be patient. You get stuck somewhere and make the best of it. I I just you know came up with the personal pepperoni pizza on rustic dough and that i got here at the hotel so i was here munching away at pizza before the show um you just got to kind of you know chill some people watch a lot of netflix in these situations others uh, rent yeah. a bike or get an uber and go downtown and walk around all day long and get ice cream and you know do yeah. stuff so take it take advantage when you can um but speaking of eating habits uh what i wanted to talk about first today was eating habits how to manage your meals out on the flight line yeah, very tough. Every, you know, company, every carrier, every particular job, you're going to have what works best for you. And if you're new, like we all were at one point, you don't know what to bring, you know? And so if you're new on the job, this goes out to all those that are in the new hire classes over at the regional partners of all these mainline carriers out there. Um, and you're like, well, I've been a flight instructor or I was, you know, flying charter or this and that. And now I'm here, here on 121 carrier. What, you know, what should I bring with me? Now, when money is tight, as Rob, I know you, you and I both had oh, experienced those days. Yep. <laughs> Remember our budget? What was it? $20 a day budget? I had $20 a day budget. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. believe it or not, you can do it if if you, you're very disciplined, but we're about to get into it. But go ahead. Yeah. So, you, you know, do you bring a lunchbox? Do you bring a cooler? Do you bring ice packs? Uh, do you know, are, yeah. are the hotels that you're uh, frequenting have, do they have a microwave in the room? If not, can I, you know, get a microwave from the lobby or, you know, who will hold my food? Is there a refrigerator in the room? If not, can you request one? These are all great questions. And how do you not forget that six pack of beer you left in the bottom of the fridge. Now, so, so, so here, how, how that costs money. It? That costs money, right? So, uh, we started out, we were doing, I remember we were talking uh, when we we're all new hires, you know, uh, $20 budgets and a regional mm-hmm. carrier because regional carriers don't normally feed you. You don't get a crew meal, no. right? But then again, you're not doing four hour legs. You're doing 30 minute, 45 minute, hour, hour and a half legs, occasionally a two hour leg or more at a regional. Yeah regional carrier, but you're doing three or four legs a day. So there's plenty of opportunity for you to walk into an airport terminal, use the restroom 
and grab a bite to eat. Now, anyone that's been in any kind of airport or movie theater or amusement park knows that you're a captive audience, and therefore, you're going to pay $47 for a tuna fish sandwich that was made five days ago. Yeah. It's just the way it is. So how do you stay within a budget? Well, I personally had one of those crew member lunchboxes, line kind. I think they're by e-bags, the one I still have that I still use today is e-bags. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're not that expensive. I think I paid like $50 for mine. I don't know how long ago that was, but um, they're lined. They have pockets where you can put your ice packs in there or dry ice. You can, right. Sometimes you can get dry ice from catering. If they're catering the airplane, you can say, hey, yeah, buddy, you got some dry ice for me. Um, yeah. It'll keep your, your food cold. Uh, I know some people that would prepare in Ziploc containers or, or little Tupperware containers or plastic containers, like pasta for one day, you know, a little meat something, a stroganoff for the second day, you know, keep bread yep. in another one. Um, and then, you know, most dudes, <laughs> they have a, I had one guy busted out a peanut butter jar and a loaf of Wonder Bread. And he's like, this is yep. my meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day while I'm at work. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I've seen that, man. Yeah. So, like, are you kidding me, Rob? What did you do when you were starting out? Well, I, I mean, it was tough uh, when I first started. You know, it, it, I didn't know what to do. Um, I quickly learned. Um, you know, there's there's three things you learn to do as a regional airline pilot. So, first thing is never pass up a free meal. <laughs> right. So, whenever uh, most of the hotels we stayed at. We're pretty good at having free breakfast. Yeah. So I would go downstairs and I'd make sure I'd get up early enough and 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 you know eat. I'd have a breakfast. I'd you know have whatever the powdered eggs they had, uh, <laughs> you know the hard boiled eggs. Um, they had waffles. I'd eat the waffles. Um, I would always um, take one or two of those um, instant oatmeal pouches with me because um, those are good to good on the go. You know, you just put hot water in it eat that. Um, anytime they had fruit, you know, I'd take one or two pieces of fruit with me and, uh, they always had like peanut butter and jelly, um, and bread on hand. So I would all actually make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, uh, you know, thinking I'd have it for lunch. So that was kind of my, you know, start of the day kind of thing. And, um, so for lunch, you know, obviously like I'd, I'd eat that peanut butter and jelly and and have some fruit and you know get a, get some water or, or a diet soda from uh, from the airplane um, on the go and then for dinner that twenty dollar budget that was usually you know my dinner but you know twenty dollars doesn't get you very far in hotel restaurants and luckily most of the places we stay at um, they have they give you a, a little bit of a discount and so um, you know I would try to find a meal that was you know, uh, within that $20 budget, <laughs> you could leave a tip. Usually it was a hamburger or a salad yeah. and, uh, you know, a soft drink. I, I don't drink, I don't drink too much beer and stuff like that. So my, I can usually get away with that, but, hey, uh, and on occasion, you know, you'd have to go over and I would have to, uh, basically rob Peter to pay Paul on the money side. So, you know, if I went $5 over on Monday, I'd have to, you know, try to go on a $15 budget the next day. Cause if not, I'd hear from it from my wife and, you know, <laughs> you'd be tight on the bills <laughs> yeah. for, for the next day. So that's kind of how I, 
uh, you know, kind of plan things. And of course, you know, I, when it came to bidding schedules, um, I would try to look for those hotels that I knew had some of those services available or some of those meals available like yeah. that. Um, and then in the airports, um, you know, I've learned where to go to get, you know, the, the, the budget friendly, uh, meal so that you can, uh, sometimes, you know, just get, get a salad or, uh, you know, a sandwich somewhere. So, um, it, it worked out pretty good. I, I later on in, in, into my, uh, time at Sandpiper, I started to do a little bit of meal prep and, and bring some stuff to work, pastas and sandwiches and anything that, that would travel well and wouldn't spoil very fast. Like, like you, I, I have one of those, uh, travel, uh, I think it was a luggage works, uh, cooler mm -hmm. so um you know i put that in the fridge the night before so that whole thing would get cold and then i put all the ice packs in there and, and um you know pack all the meals so they'd stay cold and then along the way you know with the dry ice i, I try to get that from catering whenever they had it and then in the hotels you know the bag would go right into the fridge and then everything would come out and go on ice and then in, the, in whatever fridge i had to so try to keep everything as cold as possible for as long as possible. And, uh, and then also I tried to eat the perishable stuff in the beginning of the trip and, and save the other stuff for later. But, um, you, you pretty, you know, most people pretty much find a way to do it. And there's some people do it better than others. I, I'm not much of a planner <laughs> anymore. I, I, I'm, uh, you know, every now and then I'll, I'll pack a lunch or something like that. And, and bring it to work but uh yeah. you know luckily now we get fed on the airplanes which honestly i don't eat too much of that food anymore Air only when i'm really hungry i'll eat it yeah um and i you know i have my own little you know little places i like to go now i like to get buy salads from tgi fridays mm -hmm. and um aubon pain <laughs> and, and a couple of other <laughs> those <Gut> places <laughs> so yeah, it, it's tough. And, you know, when I was really into, uh, and we're going to get into this a little bit later on, I think, but, you know, when I was really into uh, uh, fitness and, and, and exercise, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of like protein shakes and supplements and stuff like that. And that really was a good, good thing to do and yeah. kept you going. Uh, so, uh, you know, try to eat smart that way. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of my, that's kind of how I, I did it. Um, uh, you know, I, I still try to be as, you know, conscious about what I'm eating and how much I'm spending on these overnights. Cause you know, I have two daughters that are going to college and, <laughs> you know, I, it, you can spend easily 50, $60 a meal. Yeah. If you're not careful at some of these overnights that we stack, some of the overnights we stay at now with, with, uh, you know, w with our company are, you know, downtown you know, in these big hotels and they Swank don't have hotels and yeah, it's $50 entrees yeah, and yeah. 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 We were at, we were at, uh, I'm trying to think of the place we were at, uh, uh Spokane, Washington yesterday and we we're at the double tree. I'm, I'm pretty sure you've stayed there before, but you know, the, the restaurant in the hotel is a steak and chop house and the cheapest steak was like $50. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go across the street to the, to the onion which a uh, little plug there. That's a pretty good place. I liked it. Onion. They have a, their, their tap house is called uh or their uh little microbrewery they have there is called area 51. 
Yes. Yeah, they very have 51. Good they have a good IPA. Yeah. 51 beers in the wall there, man. Yeah. It's pretty good stuff. So yeah. anyway, uh, yeah, you know, so, you know, sometimes, you know, you need to leave the hotel to get a better, better meal and a better deal. So yeah, you got to do what it takes. And so why are we talking about this? Why, why are we so conscious on the budget and the meal? And I think it's because if you don't plan accordingly, and you're at a carrier where the only thing you could possibly get is a snack pack or maybe some mixed nuts from the back that, you know, they give to the passengers and you're, you're hungry and you don't eat right and you haven't had a decent meal or you ate a meal that didn't agree with your stomach and you're at the controls of an aircraft. This is beyond inconvenience. If a passenger doesn't get their first class meal, that's inconvenient because you paid for something you thought you were going to get. But if, you know, yep. they go for two or three hours and they don't have that meal, that's an inconvenience. But if you as yep. a crew member go without a meal, your blood sugar might be off. You might have, you know, not feel well because of it or because you ate something on the fly or you ate too fast. It's a very common thing for pilots. Yeah. That's how you can tell a pilot in the cafeteria, by the way. They're, they're the fastest eater. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you got to slow down. Put your fork down after a couple bites. Put your fork down for a minute. Have a sip of water. Um, but the reason it's so important is because it is a safety to flight issue. You're going to start yep. questioning your decision-making. Your decision-making will slow down. It'll take you longer mm -hmm. to make a decision on, on what to do. Um, and so meal timing meal quality, mm -hmm. all of that is very important for an aviator. And we just Definitely. wanted to get that word out for those of you just starting out in the industry and you don't quite have your meal prep plan in place. And it'll mm -hmm. change depending on whether you're on reserve, whether you know where you're going for a few days, whether you know if you're going to be flying late or you're going to be flying mornings and uh, off early, yeah. or if you're going to be on one of our typical sequences, a three-day trip, you start late, you end up in the middle of the day and then you finish early. So you never <laughs> catch up on your yeah. eating or your sleep. Um, and then fast food, you know, fast food's mm -hmm. cheap. But after how many yeah. McDonald's and, you know, Chick-fil-A's are you going to eat before you start to see the weight coming on, right? Yeah, it um, happens quick. It does. It happens very quick. And you have to be prepared. Now, there are two things that I don't scrimp on in my life. One is food. Food quality is I'm a foodie, so food quality is important uh -huh. to me. I would rather spend an extra couple dollars on food and forego any of the special sodas than mm -hmm. I would to have a beer and junk food. I would rather yeah. have a good plate. The reason I brought it up was a few weeks ago, I had a sequence that we ended up in Las Vegas, Nevada, and we stay at a casino hotel. Uh, pretty much most of the flight crews stay there. Southwest, Delta, Legacy, American. They all united. Yeah. They all stay there. And it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's a pretty nice place. It has like five restaurants in there. And, you know, China, everything from Chinese food to burgers to a steakhouse. Andre's uh, Steakhouse. Very, very expensive. $4 something. So we got there kind of late. And we were leaving a little early. Just enough, about 13 hours, enough to get a meal in. And it was late, and we were hungry, and most of the restaurants were closing. And so my captain said, hey, let's go downstairs and, and see if we can grab a bite to eat and a drink and call it a night. I said, hey, that's a good idea. So we yeah. ended up at their little uh, uh, bourbon bar or whatever they call it, their whiskey bar. And we're just sitting there talking. 
hey, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? You know, and the bartender said, hey, you guys should try going to this Golden Steer. This is a very famous steakhouse, Frank Sinatra, Elvis Presley. They all had their own booth there. And we're like, well, is it dress code? I mean, we're not, yeah. we're not suit and tie <laughs> prepared, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's like, well, you can go to our steakhouse. There's nothing wrong with our steakhouse. He goes, but that one, I mean, once in a lifetime kind of thing, you know, unless you live here, you go there quite often and you have the money to go there. <laughs> and the captain looks uh -huh. at me, he's like, that's going to be pricey. You want to do that, or you want to go to McDonald's or Thai place? Or <laughs> I'm like, well, <laughs> the Thai place sounds okay to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's we're not, we're not here very long. You know, it's not like we're going to go party and live it up. And he was like, yeah, but how often do you get to go and say you ate at the restaurant that Frank Sinatra <laughs> favorited when he was here in Vegas? And I was like, well, let's go try it out. Let's go check it out. So we we walk down yeah. the street and we walk in. And you could tell it's got a little bar area. They had some high boys and then they had the eating lounge. And in the eating lounge, you know, they had the waiters came out with the cart and prepared, cut, cut the meat for you and everything at, at the table mm. and prepared the salads at the table. And I walked up to the maitre d' and I said, uh, hi, uh, any chance that uh, you can have seat two for dinner tonight? We're just in town for tonight and wanted to check it out we heard about you you know so I'm, I'm totally giving him like yeah we heard about you you were well recommended from the uh yeah the bartender down there at the sahara and we would like to you know check it out this evening and he's like well do you have a reservation mm. i said well no i i didn't know we needed one is, is do you think you can get us in anyway and he goes well i can't sit you at the t at the uh in the seating lounge but you can have a seat right here at this high boy at the bar you can still order your full plates. We just don't prepare the salads and stuff at the table. And I looked at the captain. I'm like, we're going to get the experience, but it's not going to be the full experience because we're yeah. sitting at the bar. And he goes, at the high top. he's like, yeah, yeah, we're here. Why not? So fine. So we sit there and we're looking at the menu. It's all a la carte. Uh oh. So you order like a, you know, six ounce <laughs> steak. $50 salad, Yikes. $20 sides, $15. I'm like, Whoa. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be a hundred dollar dinner. Are you okay with that? And it's late. You want steak this late? And he's like, well, let, let me, let me, let's just, yeah, let's, let's, he goes, yeah, if you can't, if you can't, if it's too expensive for you, I'll, I'll, I'll get it. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're, we'll do this 50, 50, you know, let's, we'll go Dutch. So the, the waiter comes by and he says, hello. Starts talking to us about what's on the menu, and he, he mentions the special. And the special was steak for two with lobster tail and salad and two sides for only $215. <laughs> only. And I was, I'd start doing the math, and I went, okay, let me see. If I order a steak half that size with no lobster tail and two sides and a salad, it's going to be $100 with, with a drink, you know. And same for him. I'm like, let's just get the special. And the captain looks at me and he's like, that sounds fantastic. And <laughs> the, the waiter goes, the only thing you must agree upon is the how to cook the meat. And I'm like, well, I like it, you know, bloody running. <laughs> I want it to move when I put my fork in there. And uh, the captain goes, well, I kind of like it medium. I'm like, well, anything between moo and medium is fine with me. So we ended up with medium. Uh, and I tell you what, though, when they wheeled that cart out 
with that big old side of beef right there. And they yeah. sliced it and served it. And the lobster tail was huge. And the sides, oh. we got uh, red mushrooms and uh, some mashed potatoes and the Caesar salad. Wow. I had a glass of wine with my meal. Complimented the meat wow. just nicely. I ate like a freaking king. I'm sitting there, and everyone that walked in walked <laughs> right past our table, and they're like, oh, it looks good. Oh, oh that looks good. That looks good. So, yes. Sometimes there, you got to do that. You know, I've never spent that much money on a meal on a layover yeah. <laughs> before. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, there goes a there goes $100 right there out the window yeah. in, one, in one sitting. <laughs> I blew yeah. my budget yeah. for the week for that. <laughs> yeah. But oh, I know, man. You know, I'll never forget that experience. My captain and I were right. laughing. I mean, people probably were thinking, are these guys on a date or something? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we're just like, you know, total straight dudes just, you know, hanging yeah. out, having some steaks, man. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it was fantastic. And we actually couldn't finish all, all of it. We actually had a little tiny doggy bag. And the captain said, you take the doggy bag. You know, you, you can have it for breakfast or something. And I said, well, I'll take it, but I'm not going to eat it. First homeless person we see, they're going to get a steak dinner tonight. And nice. he goes, that's actually a great idea. So we walked out of there. You know, we, obviously we, we paid. We, we had a nice conversation with the waiter. He told us a little bit about the history of the place. And, and uh, we got out of there, and we got about a half a block away, and I see a homeless, yeah, you don't have to go far. A homeless person <laughs> sitting there, like in the bushes, and he looks kind of like wore out. And I'm like, hey, buddy, you hungry, man? And he goes, oh, his eyes light up. And he's like, yeah, 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 that was so much. And I hand him the doggy bag. I'm like, have a steak dinner. And he goes, oh, and he's like in the bag. And we didn't even get like four feet away. And he's already like, oh, thanks, man. Thanks. Oh, God bless you. God bless you. Nice. And, uh, and we walked yeah. a couple more steps. And the captain goes, you know what? That was really cool of you. That was a great idea. And I'm like, yeah, we do it all. My family does nice. it all the time. You know, that's. You know, we could take it home and, and have leftovers, but if we see someone yeah. that is in need, we always try to do that. We take the doggy bag and try to, awesome, you know, dude. give it to someone who might be hungry. And, yeah. um, and then I stopped and I went, do you think he hangs out behind that four-star steakhouse on purpose? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if so... Good for him. Smart ass. Yeah. <laughs> Smart guy. Smart guy. How many... How how many steaks do you think he had that night? Oh, geez. I don't know. <laughs> He's probably like hoarding That's it and then taking story, it back though. to his, you know, camp and going, hey, guys, steaks on me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's amazing. That's a good story, man. Yeah, you know, I, I've, uh, I've had similar experiences like that where you're, you know, there's, uh, well, I, didn't, I failed to talk about it, but holidays. Some holidays are like that where there's, oh, yeah. you know, you, you, uh, you know, you have to work that holiday Thanksgiving, for example, and, you know, you get to, uh, you didn't get a chance to eat all day for some reason, whether it's, you know, you had like a midday sign in. So you kind of maybe have a little breakfast in the morning and you fly all day and then you get to the, you know, to the overnight at like six or seven o'clock at night and you're starving and it's Thanksgiving. Well, they don't have anything going on except for the Thanksgiving buffet that they set up for reservations only, and it's one hundred and thirty nine dollars a seat. Right. And you're like, all I want is a piece of turkey and some cranberry sauce, and I'll be good to go. Uh, but uh, every now and then, you know, you have to be like, all right, let's just splurge and and uh, have a good meal and socialize with the crew and 
and call it a day. How about also, um, and I know you used to do it. I, I did it when I was at Sandpiper and I haven't had to do it um, here at uh, Legacy, but uh, you know, if, if your schedule kind of gets all jacked up a little bit, um, sometimes you have to just call in to ops and say, you know, we're not departing on our next flight because we haven't had a chance to eat. So we're going to go into the terminal and get a hot meal you yeah. get to put the delay, you know, 30, 40 minute delay on me. Um, so, you know, that's important too. just make sure you nourish your body because like you said, it's, it's, uh, it's a safety issue. Yeah. And flight attendants normally don't, they don't get a crew meal. Right. Now, granted, yeah. they, they yeah. get to snack on whatever is left over sometimes, yeah. you know, and you hear them sometimes on the intercom going, hey, I have some leftover first class meals. You girls want to yeah. come up and, and, and eat. So they get to they get to come up and get leftovers. However, that doesn't always yeah. happen. You know, sometimes they just don't have extra or they don't get catered. Uh, so they go, you know, all day long. Sometimes they don't really have much time to to eat. And the pilots have a lot more power and more leeway with that. Um, and I've always advocated, hey, if you guys you know, have been going all day and you're hungry, either I can go get you something, I'll run in the terminal, maybe get some desserts or something, something to hold you over. Uh, I've been more than happy to do that in the past. Yeah. Um, yeah or I'll say, you know what, we're going to take a meal break and you know, we're not going to board or anything. You're just, let's go get a meal break. You go grab some bite to eat and then bring it back to the airplane. Uh, for them, it's hard to eat on the airplane because, you know, they can't eat during boarding and they can't eat during this. And right. That. So yeah. they have to wait until they have a lull in their service. And if the flight's not that long, it's just not going to happen. So yeah, right. always, you know, it goes a long way to ask your your flight attendant crew, hey, do you guys, have you eaten? It's been a long day for you guys. Can I sure. get you anything? Sometimes yeah. that will make their entire day yeah. to just offer, even if they don't say no, or maybe just a cup of coffee. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, man. So I had another incident that happened this week. And, Ruh -roh. you know, I had a pretty cool captain, well, last week. Um, and 35 years at our company, been flying mm. a long time, not ready to retire quite yet, but he will be retiring early. Um, mm -hmm. He is financially one of the most intelligent pilots I've flown with. And we're going to get to some of the advice he gave me. But before we get to that, let's talk about hard landings. Now, all week he was talking about how he had to drive to, to you know, out of town because he lived kind of far away, about a three-hour drive. Yeah. Normally, he could fly in, but with all the reduction in regional flying out of his local airport, there really weren't many options for him. So mm. after a certain hour, there's no way to commute home and getting hotel rooms to take an early morning flight that's going to go out uh, full or weight-restricted anyway, he just would rather rent a car. Yeah, and drive drive home and drop off the car at the airport over there, and that's what he had been doing for quite some time ever since the COVID began and the reduction of flying happened. And I was like, "Really, you're gonna fly two long legs, do like seven hours of flight time, and then get in a rental car at LAX and drive home for three hours? That's crazy. Wow. I mean, that's that's where you're gonna get killed. Falling asleep really at the wheel. The job. Yeah. <laughs> so well, 
<laughs> not really. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, he was getting kind of fed up with that and thus the early retirement. But yeah. all week he's like, yeah, we just got to get in like 20 minutes early and that's going to really help me out. I'm like, stop it. You're jinxing it. Stop it. Murphy's Law. Go home late. You know, expect the worst and be grateful when it doesn't happen. <laughs> sure. sure as shit. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. we, uh, we land in Dallas. We had to swap aircraft. We walk over to the gate. And, uh, and there we were. And the passengers are getting off the plane. And the passenger's like, oh, God, that was a terrible landing. That airplane's got to be broken. You better, you better take this airplane to the junkyard after that one. Oh. I mean, and oh. so we're like, what the hell's going on? And so the flight attendant or the gate agent was like, oh, must have been a bad landing. I wonder if maintenance is going. <laughs> so the flight, the gate agent goes down to talk to the flight attendants. We're like, is everything okay? A lot of passengers are complaining. And they're like, it was a very hard landing. And I think they're calling maintenance. I'm like, oh. Oh, man. No. So a little embarrassing. Oh. Well, it, it turned out to be a new captain receiving IOE with an IOE check airman on board. And <laughs> we sat there and kind of waited for them to come out of the flight deck, which they didn't for a long time. <laughs> and First out, sign. And yeah. out appears or this. Or second sign. The second yeah. sign, yeah. And out appears this uh, very young you know, tall, slender, you know, good looking captain is like, Hey guys, how you doing? He's very charismatic. And he was like, Hey guys. So that, yeah, man, I had like a bad landing and, uh, and, uh, kind of bounced it. And so, uh, we wrote it up like a hard landing. So maintenance is, uh, all, they're already here, man. They're checking it out. All right. Oh, cool, man. Have a good flight guys. And he <laughs> in tow with his bags, he goes up the jet bridge and the captain and I look at each other like, did that just happen? Was he serious? <laughs> was he that nonchalant? <laughs> I mean, really? So the check airman comes out and he's got this like look on his face like, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and my captain's like, what the hell, man? <laughs> so I immediately like left the jet bridge to go do my pre-flight walk around. And as I was opening the door, he turns and he says, Tony, do a really good job. Look for wrinkled uh, skin and pop rivets i was like you got it cap you got it so <laughs> i go out there i take my time and i'm looking i'm looking i'm looking i'm like everything looks good you know i kick the tires yeah. you know it's got a good thunk those tire pressures are good you know um, i'm looking at the landing gear everything looks okay nothing looks over compressed there's no fluid leaks anywhere and i do a mm -hmm. thorough pre-flight and everything looked satisfactory like normal so i get back yep. in and now you know Get in, get onto the flight deck, and maintenance is in there, and he's running his checks, and and what they do is they print out a report, and the airplane spits out all the parameters from the previous flight. So what we're going to talk about are hard landings or heavy landings. Okay. According to Skybrary.arrow, and I'll put a link in the show notes because that one's a tough one. Um, what defines a hard landing? And they indicate a hard landing in some regions, referred to as a heavy landing, is a landing in which the manufacturer's touchdown limitation expressed either in the rate of descent or as a G-loading factor or gravity loading has been exceeded. A hard landing has the potential result to lose control of the aircraft and aircraft damage can be also a result of that and it will necessitate a manufacturer defined hard landing inspection 
Inspection, yep. Yeah, and those inspections, depending on the, the gravity of that landing, they could necessitate getting the airplane in the hangar, swinging the gear, putting up on stands, uh, putting a laser um, measuring mm-hmm. device onto the aircraft. I don't know if you've ever seen on the outside of the aircraft, there are these little tiny, maybe one or two inch triangles out of reflective material outlined in red lines. And they're usually along the fuselage on both sides of the aircraft. Those little reflective triangles with a little dot in the middle of them are where that laser measuring device pinpoints the how true, how square the yeah. fuselage of the aircraft is, if it's straight or if it got bent. It's very important. Right. And it takes a long time to do one of these inspections, and we'll kind of get into that. They also go on to say almost all of us, either as pilots or passengers, have experienced what we may have considered less than ideal landings. These might have been manifested in a firm or bounced touchdown, a sudden longitudinal swing to realign the aircraft with the runway centerline, overlay harsh deceleration, or even an unexpected displacement of loose articles, or the deployment of some of those passenger oxygen masks. Once uncomfortable for most and potentially frightening for some, these events seldom cross into the threshold required to be classified as a hard landing. In some situations, such as these during landing on a contaminated runway, the firm touchdown may have been intentional. And yes, we do those all the time, especially snowy runways. The the FAA doesn't want you to float and grease it, especially on contaminated runway. They want you to plant it so that you can get weight on wheels and all of those protections that the aircraft uh, may or may not have built into its system, depending on your aircraft, anti-skid, anti-lock, thrust reversers, all that stuff. That doesn't start working until you have weight on wheels, right? Airplanes are on the ground, yeah. Right. So as stated in the definition uh, that I just talked about, hard landing is classified as an exceedance of the manufacturer limitation. Now, different aircraft manufacturers from... McDonnell Douglas to Boeing to Airbus, they all have specific G-loading characteristics. That said, based on certification criteria, the hard landing threshold is the same for virtually all commercial pattern aircraft and is expressed either as G-loading of 2.6 or as a touchdown rate in exceedance of 600 feet per minute for landing weights up to the certified maximum for the aircraft type. For aircraft that are certified to conduct precautionary or emergency landings as weights above their normal landing limitation, in other words, overweight landings, the hard landing threshold is then reduced to 1.7 Gs or 360 feet per minute if an overweight condition exists. So in the story earlier, I told you maintenance was on board and they were printing out all the parameters from the previous flight. The previous flight had a bounced landing, and it came out to be 1.7 Gs. It was not, mm-hmm. therefore, a hard landing. And right, by definition. By definition. <laughs> so my captain and I looked at each other like, so you're not going to do a hard landing inspection? He was like, no, it was only 1.7. We don't do those until after 2.6. And we're like, wait a minute. <laughs> Let's talk about this for a second. <laughs> I could do 1.7, 1.8, 1.9 G landings all day, every day, and the aircraft does not need to be inspected. That is correct. 
So every single passenger that came out there holding their back, getting ready to sue the company and put a neck brace on, they would lose it. <laughs> they would lose that case because by definition, it wasn't a hard landing. So it's just, you know, firm. Yeah. It was just mm -hmm. firm. Made, yeah. made all my previous landings in my history seem a whole lot better. Better, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> I know. Isn't that amazing? I mean, th these planes are really, really designed to take some punishment on landing. Those landing gear can take a lot of punishment. Yes. I mean, have you seen some of those videos on YouTube and, and uh, other documentaries where they show the landing gear, the stress on the landing gear, especially when they test them? Yeah. It's really, really fascinating to see that stuff. And uh, yeah, I got to tell you, I had one the other day. Uh, <laughs> I went into Memphis and um, I, I, it, was, it was the hardest landing that I've ever experienced in an airliner. And it was my landing. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I got to tell you, man, I, I, I honestly, I, <laughs> I was flying with a very experienced captain. Again, 30 years experience. And uh, let me tell you the end of the story first before I tell you <laughs> the whole story. After I landed, I looked at him and I said, what did I do wrong? Did I do anything wrong? I mean, I did everything by the book. He's like, he's like, you did. He's like, the one thing you probably could have done was gone around, but by the time you decided to go around, you would have touched down anyway. Yeah. And he said, at that point, you were, you're already pretty much committed to the landing. And, uh, you know, you touched down in the landing zone and you didn't touch down short. You didn't, you know, you were on center line and everything. It was just firm. And I got to tell you, so we were landing in Memphis and there was, uh, uh, it was very gusty. Uh, you know, low-level wind shear advisories in effect, flying Airbus, right? So, you know, the thing goes into, you know, ground speed mini and all that stuff. And, you know, you looked at your your V approach speed and it was right at the hook, you know, the oh. top of the low low speed awareness. So yeah. what do we do? You had to start adding some. Add two um, or three knots, yeah. You know, add, add some speed, you know. Yeah. So I added, uh, I ended up adding, uh, I think, 10 knots. Whoa. 10 knots. So there was a lot That's of, a lot. A lot of uh, buffer. So, you know, our ground speed mini on the approach was like 160, 170, oh. right? And then as we got it, got below 500 feet, you could watch it trail off. But that was the problem was that the, the change in wind speed and direction was so rapid mm -hmm. that the engines didn't catch up with me from like 200 feet down to the runway. So as I was getting into, you know, that transitional phase, my airspeed was bleeding off, but there was no um, RPM. There was no, you know, there's no run up from the engines because they were still slowing me down. So as I was flaring, 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 I was like, I need, I need to extend my, you know, my glide a little bit further, or, my, or I need to rest my descent a little more because we're starting to sink really fast now. And yeah. the stick went as far back as it went. <gasps> and right at that point, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> You've run out of elevator <laughs> authority, went, sir. We just went, wham! <laughs> I mean, we hit hard. And I was like, you know, again, and this is where I start. This is where I left, uh, started the beginning of the story was, what did I do wrong? <laughs> I did everything right. It's like, what happened? And he's, and, and so, you know, we got off and, and the captain, I was like, is that considered a hard landing? And he goes, well, I don't think so. I mean, that, 
it, although it felt hard, it probably was no more than like 1.5 G's. And the captain being as experienced as he was, he knew exactly where to go in the FMS to look it up. And he looked it up and he was like, yeah, that was 1.4 G's. And yeah. I was like, that's it? Normal end. I was like, God, I couldn't even imagine what two, two and a half 2. feels 6. like. You know? Oh, God. Oh, yeah. my gosh. It's crazy. So, I mean, I tucked my, you know, hit my tail between my legs on that one and, you know, head down as I walked out of the cockpit, didn't even make eye <laughs> contact with anybody. But, you know, thankfully there was no comments other than the, you know, I said, it, I asked the flight attendants in the van, and so how was that landing? And they all looked at me like, holy shit, I need a, I need a I need freaking a massage. My neck is sore. <laughs> Yeah, so we've it, we've told stories. It off, but. We've told these stories on this podcast now for years. You know, we it happens. It happens when you're yeah. a new pilot. It happens when you've got thirty plus years experience and you're out on the flight line. Oh. It happens when you have ten thousand hours on that airplane. It happens. Yeah. You know, it just and yeah. and what I like to do now, and, and I don't know if it's because I just don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, okay, uh, open the door, and I just stand there like Superman, you know, and uh, like, nice, a nice landing, you know. You always get the the sarcastic yeah, comments. Yeah, one guy. And, yeah, and uh, I love it when they go, "Were you in the Navy?" Even though I wasn't, I'll say, "Yes, I was." And they're like, "Good carrier landing, yeah. then, son." <laughs> <laughs> Three wire. <laughs> Three wire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's funny. Well, you know, we yeah. talked about hard landings, and you really have to not to say that it's okay to to conduct hard landings. You know, you do your best. To put the, the aircraft on the ground in the touchdown zone, the first third of the runway or 3,000 feet, whichever is shorter. And, you know, you're aiming for the aiming point markers. And I don't know if you've ever realized this, but if you're on the aiming point markers as a reference and you're descending on glide path at a standard three degree glide path, those aiming point markers should look pretty close to square, not rectangular. Yeah. If they look rectangular, you're a little low. And if they look a little less than square, you're a little high. A high. That's yeah. why that they are the shape that they are. Because for visual reference, if you have no other reference, no Pappy, no Vassy, no glide slope, nothing, and you're going into an airport and the only reference you have are those aiming point markers, you want them to look close to square, maybe just a little bit more elongated than square, but not super long rectangular. It's an optical effect that you can use for situational awareness. Mm -hmm. Now, every landing can't be a greaser. No. You know, on a good day or a good sequence, I'll grease every single landing. <laughs> and I usually yeah. get a, a side glance from my captain like, fuck, jeez, you know, this, yeah. this, this guy, my God. I'm like, okay, your turn. <laughs> if I have a right. greaser, I always go, okay, your turn. <laughs> when I have a bad landing, uh, uh, same as you, I go, oh, God, what happened? And then I'm like, yeah. Captain's like, oh, don't worry, it was fine. I was like, maybe I should open my eyes next time. <laughs> I always got something smart to say. <laughs> but, but thank you for sharing that with us. Um, and, yeah. you know, when you're new, you know, you're, you're humble and you don't want to share your bad experience but when you have as many decades <laughs> behind your belt you're like yeah i messed one up yeah. last week uh, yeah hardly it happens it. man that oxygen mask yeah, fell thankfully out. <laughs> yeah thankfully it doesn't happen yeah see and that's the other thing i was going to say uh there was no reports of you know overhead bins opening up or you know oxygen masks coming down or phones going flying sometimes you know that's the kind of stuff that happens yeah, yeah. so 
it, it must not have been that bad. It was worse in my head because I, I normally don't land like that. I mean, I usually get a, some, you know, like, like we said, you know, there's, there's firm landings and there's soft landings. Yeah. You know, some airports, you just need to make a firm landing, like, you know, LaGuardia, DC, you yeah. know, so those airports Short like that. Short runways. Yeah. You um, get it on the ground. Don't worry about it. You just put it on the ground. You've right. got to, they want us to land within the first, you know, what is it? 1200 feet of the run, uh, Mm-hmm. of the threshold and stuff like that so yeah. just get it on the ground yeah, yeah. and i'm pretty you know been, we do that all the time yeah and uh sometimes you got like that dallas runway or that lax runway where you can you know get it into the flare and just hold it in ground effect and just let it let the wheels yeah you know kiss the runway and spool up and mm-hmm. sometimes the uh, spoilers don't even deploy yet because they're like hey are we there yet i don't i don't know if we're on the ground or if we're yeah. flying yet you know so yeah uh, those are the nice ones, but those are not textbook. You know, those yeah. are those are just you know, kind of like the golf thing: drive for show, putt for dough. You know, that's that's the drive for show kind of thing. You just showing off at the end of the flight. <laughs> well, I tell you what, you know what pisses me off, Rob, is when you freaking grease the landing in. You got a lot of runway, like you said in Dallas. I know what you're it's gonna just, say. You touch yep. down, it's. Gorgeous! You're like, yeah, that's how you do it, buddy. Yeah. And your the aircraft is slowing, and you put it in min reverse. You don't even put it in full reverse, right? Because landing no. distance yeah. computations don't even include thrust reversers. Those are extra, exactly. right? So you put it in min reverse so that the passengers aren't yeah. getting you know all the you know and all yeah. the vibrations Rattle, and, and, the, and, they, and all that. they don't know any better. They're like, oh wow, that was a beautiful landing. Wow, that was great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. you 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 get it. You're you're slowing down. You're passing through eighty knots. And your your mm-hmm. pilot monitoring your captain says eighty knots, my aircraft. My and aircraft. He slams on the brakes, <laughs> and now he's like, he's like, yeah, I want to get yeah. off on this because I want to go back to the gate now. I got to go back to the gate. So and yeah. he ruins it. <laughs> yeah, you're like, come on, dude. Like, come on, oh, man. man. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking about hard landings and greased landings and stuff, but what about overweight landings? Now, you don't really talk about mm-hmm. overweight landings in GA. Right? right, because if you can take off with full tanks, you can land with full tanks. That's just the way it is. But in swept wing aircraft, there's definitely the opportunity where your maximum takeoff weight is much higher than your maximum landing weight. That's and right. why would this matter? Well, if your dispatcher is doing their job appropriately and they've calculated everything correctly, it's your flight plan, your in route burn, and everything, they'll always have you take off at a weight that is less than your maximum landing weight. Sometimes you take off and you're going for a very long flight, so you have a lot of fuel, and something happens. You get the dreaded ding dong or ding 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 ding. Either way, yeah. Now you're going <laughs> back good. to the airport. So what yeah. do you do? First thing you say is my aircraft. Your aircraft. <laughs> My radios, my aircraft, my radios, <laughs> and then I would read the ECAM actions on the Airbus, right? So, right. <laughs> or is it is it a ECAM action, or is it an immediate action, or ECAM exception? That's the next thing, right? Exactly. So you consult yep. your QRC, quick reference card, QRC, quick reference quick card, reference QRC. Card. So you pull that out. You go, is it an is it a quick action, meaning do it now, don't follow what it says, just do this, or is mm-hmm. it an ECAM exception, meaning don't do what the ECAM says, do this instead? Usually, those are things that happen on the ground not in the air. So you run through the very short list and you go, nope, it's not one of those. And then you read what it says. Engine one, fire. Mm -hmm. Okay, is that an emergency? 
Not, can be. Can be. Not really. <laughs> Do you have to be like Jackie Chan? Ah, no. You're no. Okay. All right. Then the captain says, okay, I'm flying. I'm talking on the radio. Go through the ECAM actions. So you go through, mm-hmm. right? So whatever. Okay. I was just using that as an example. So sure. the point is you have to return to the airport. But now you're 20, 30, maybe even 40,000 pounds over maximum over landing weight. maximum landing weight. So now you have some decision making to do. According to Boeing.com, mm-hmm. and I'll put a link in the show notes, an overweight landing is defined as a landing made at gross weight in excess of the maximum design or structural landing weight for a particular model. A pilot may consider making an overweight landing when a situation arises that requires the airplane to return to the takeoff airport or divert to another airport as soon as soon after takeoff. In these cases, the airplane may arrive at the landing airport at a weight considerably above the maximum design landing weight. A pilot must then decide whether to reduce the weight prior to landing or land overweight. The weight can be reduced either by holding to burn off the fuel or by jettisoning the fuel. So dumping fuel, basically. Some aircraft can do that, yep. Yes, but the 320 cannot. Uh, There are important issues to consider when a decision must be made to land overweight. One is the burn off the fuel or jettison the fuel. The other is, do you have a long enough runway now to accommodate an aircraft that is overweight, considerably overweight? And do you have the conditions to make a very, very smooth touchdown? And I believe our book says less than 300 feet per minute. I've read that somewhere. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if that were to happen, the captain or the PIC would have many things to accommodate. Now, after an overweight landing has been done, a entry into the aircraft maintenance log must be done. And they're going to want to know, maintenance is going to want to know a few things. One, what was the weight of the aircraft upon landing? Two, how many feet per minute was indicated on the VSI at touchdown? You know, and uh, of course, you're going to have very hot brakes. Overweight landings is an emergency landing and should always be accompanied by the airport rescue and firefighting equipment. Now, after mm-hmm. an overweight landing that heavy, it takes a lot more uh, friction on the brakes to stop the aircraft. You're going to need to eat up a lot more runway. And so it's possible that usually about five minutes after landing, when those brake temperatures start to soar, they could, exceed, brakes, yeah. they could exceed the uh, fus- fusion plugs that are in the tires. Because yeah. if the tires get hot, that hydrogen that is in the tires, the air that's in the tires, they actually put hydrogen because it's less temperature sensitive. Or is it hydrogen or nitrogen? Uh, nitrogen, nitrogen. Yeah, you're right. Hydrogen is the, that would the be explosive. explosive stuff. Oh, yeah, that would be bad. No, so the nitrogen <laughs> that's in the tires, excuse me, yeah. the nitrogen that's in the <laughs> tires, uh, once, you know, if they get too hot and they increase in pressure, rather than the tire exploding, they have a, a, fusion, a fusion plug or a heat plug, right? Thermal plug. Thank yeah. you. Thermal plug. So yep. the thermal plug could explode. So after a heavy landing, hot brakes, yep. you should not stick your head yeah, it's basically between. a plug that's designed to melt 
at a certain thermal temperature. When it melts, it releases the pressure inside the tire. So like you said, instead of the tire blowing, the plug melts, lets the air out, and the tire deflates and lets all the hot air out. Yes. Now, whether it's a hard landing or an overweight landing, a maintenance inspection should be done. But as a flight crew member, when you're doing your walk around, what if the previous crew did not report the overweight landing or the hard landing? Is it possible? Mm -hmm. Yeah, could be. So do you know what to look for as a flight crew member? We're going to answer those questions right after the break. ladies and gentlemen welcome back well we've been talking with rob d about overweight and hard landings hey they happen and we're talking about how to recognize if the aircraft you're about to fly has been subjected to one of these things now as a pilot we're not really responsible to know how to do an aircraft maintenance inspection on looking for signs of overweight landings but as a two-decade Line, on the line pilot, I, I think it's important to at least know what to look for. So according to Boeing, uh, Airplane Maintenance Manual, or the AMM, provides specific inspections that are required anytime an overweight landing occurs. Regardless of how smooth the landing was, the maintenance inspection is required. The AMM inspection is provided in two parts, the phase one and the phase two, or A check or B check. And in the A check, it's always a part of it to look for obvious signs of structural distress, such as wrinkled skin, popped fasteners, or bent components in areas which are readily readily accessible. If definite signs of overstress are found, a phase two check or B check is then required. And it's much more detailed. It requires opening access panels to examine critical structural components. And also, uh, you know, the A check could be done in about two to four hours. But this kind of inspection, the, the B check, this is generally something that takes quite a long time. Um, as we mentioned earlier, sometimes they have to examine the structure of the aircraft using laser guided equipment. In the hangar where the aircraft is level, they might even have to swing gear, meaning putting the aircraft on jacks and swinging the gear open and closed to make sure there's no binding or anything has got bent. Um, so it's a big deal. Now, as an aviator, yeah. you, you might think, hey, if I do a heavy landing or an overweight landing, I'm going to get in trouble. No. 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 You do your job. You know, yeah. Do what you were trained to do. Know what to look for. Uh, know what to document and write it up yeah we do everything we can to prevent an overweight landing i mean that's a lot of our pre-flight planning is um and the dispatcher's flight plan and release is predicated on landing um under the maximum landing weight uh it's what a lot of our landing weight or takeoff numbers are predicated are actually based on you know right the uh if, you know, like a like a normal airport, I wouldn't say normal airport, but like 
you know, LA, Dallas, Chicago, you know, those runways are plenty long. So usually the most limiting factors are you know, landing weight. So they give us a fuel burn uh, that puts us below the maximum landing weight. So we're usually taking off of that number, but there's, like you said, some cases where, you know, Hey, the ATC couldn't, uh, well, not ATC, but, uh, you, you, you plan on a longer flight route like today because of weather to take on all this extra fuel. And next thing you know, you get up in the air, ATC clears you direct to your destination. And now instead of going all this long way around the weather and burning all that extra fuel, now you're going direct to the airport, which can cause a situation where you may have too much fuel, which means too much weight, which means exceeding your maximum landing weight. So what do you do? You know, there's certain things you can do. You can stay on your, you know, filed route. You can drop down to a lower altitude, fly faster, fly, uh, you know, I wouldn't say less conservative, but, <laughs> you know, put your gear down sooner, you know, put more drag out there. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of things you could do, but at some point, you know, you may have to just, like they said, like you said, hold somewhere yeah. and just burn holes in the sky and just burn down that fuel to get below maximum landing weight. And I'll give you an example of, of one I had, uh, and this was, and we were actually in an emergency situation and um, we took off out of Fargo and we hit a bird on takeoff. Mm -hmm. And we were on our way to Chicago. So anyway, we were full of, full of fuel, not full of fuel, but we had full load of passengers, cargo, and we had taken off above our maximum landing weight. Mm -hmm. So we hit the bird as soon as we rotated off, off the runway. So we were still over the runway when the emergency started. <laughs> so we elected to keep our landing gear down and, you know, assess the situation by going into a, uh, uh, into the traffic pattern above the airport and um, just assessing the situation and deciding what we should do. And the decision was made to stay in Fargo, uh, stay over Fargo, burn off the fuel and land. Um, and we came to that decision talking to dispatch and maintenance because we would have landed overweight. We would have had to have maintenance come out and do that overweight inspection. Well, they're coming out anyway, because they're going to have to, inspected bird damage but like you said it can be an, be an extensive inspection um if they have to do the overweight inspection at the same time so we ended up holding over fargo and we had a lot of fuel you know, yeah. we were going to chicago so we ended up holding over the airport we were 1500 feet above the airport for an hour wow while we burned down enough gas yeah to uh, to land and you know we we had our gear down we went down to flaps 22, you know, we, we didn't do flaps 45 because we felt that that would, the difference in the fuel burn and the difference in, you know, just the noise level and the quality, yeah. <laughs> you know, the flying characteristics that would have been just too much for the passengers and everything. So it was like just an extra 10 or 15 minutes to stay at flaps 22 to get below the, the landing weight. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so we elected to land um, after about an hour of, holding over the airport and got below our, our maximum landing weight. And when we landed, you know, according to the FMS, we, were, we touched down, we were only about 
about a hundred pounds below the maximum landing weight. Yeah. So it, it was, it, we were actually sweating bullets on final two. We're like, Oh, we may need to just go around one more time. Wow. And of course to go around would definitely take, take care of it. Cause we'd have to go, you know, toga power, toga thrust or whatever, but yeah. Um, and you've heard it, anyway, on, you've yeah, heard it on the situation. line too. Um, when you hear someone give an airplane a shortcut and the, yeah. they say, uh, no, we need to stay on route. Yeah. And odds yeah, are like it's because of that. It's because of the fuel burn that if they took a shortcut or a yeah. higher altitude, sometimes they're like, no, we need to stay at lower altitude because that's the way they filed us. Because if you go to higher altitude, you might save yeah. too much fuel. And then, you know, the last thing you want to do is get into LAX airspace, get on with the yeah. approach control. And when you're, you know, 10 miles out, go, actually, yeah. we're not going to be able to land. They're like, what? Yeah, yeah we're too heavy. Whoa, and I just thought of a, and I just thought of a scenario, which you're probably familiar with too, especially flying in that Northeast corridor, um, severe weather days. I remember one day we were taken off out of, uh, DC and we were headed to Boston, I believe. So kind of a short flight. Um, and weather was just in the area. So we get out to the end of the runway and they're like, Hey, you know, Sandpiper, you know, we got a weather reroute, buys and ready to copy. So, all right. Write down the weather reroute, read it back and come to find out it's 200, 300 miles longer than what we have original filed, which yeah. says if it's longer, we need more gas. So you end up going, hey, we can't do this route right now. We're going to have to go back and get gas. So you turn all the way around, you go back and get gas, mm -hmm. and you put the extra gas on the airplane, and then you head back out. And then they, uh, then either two scenarios there either they say, hey, we got another weather reroute for you. Now you're cleared this route, which is almost the original route you just yeah. filed. Now you have too much gas. Yeah. And you're like, well, hold on. Now we can't go because you gave us this longer route. You know, you try to explain it to the guy, but you're taking up too much airspace. You might also just be like, nope, can't do it. Stand by. <laughs> yeah. Or you take off. And like we said, they clear you direct. And now you, you know, you're in that same situation we just talked about where you're too heavy to go direct because you're not going to burn the fuel off. So those are some of those situations that, you know, I, I haven't been in those um, very much, you know, lately. I think it's probably be 10 years since that happened, but yeah. uh, we've all been there. Yeah. Yeah. I've had the same thing. Yep. We actually flew from, uh, from Chicago to, what is it? Chicago to Cincinnati, I think with the gear down the ah. whole way at 10,000 feet, because yeah. that very scenario happened to us where we Good had to go each. back to the gate yep. and get an extra thousand, couple thousand pounds of fuel. And yep. you, you know, you're expecting to drive all the way down to St. Louis before you make a hard left turn. And, and then all of a sudden they're like, you're clear, direct, unable. Matter yeah. of fact, uh, what do you mean unable? Uh, unable. Uh, you know, we, we had to go back to the gate to get this fuel. You're explaining to them, and you're like, we either need to uh, level off at 10,000 and leave the gear down 250 knots. Uh, we'll let you know when we can go direct, or we got to hold for an hour or two. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. what? So I remember doing that one time. It must have been like 15 yeah. years ago. And the captain's like, let's just stay on plan, stay at 10,000 feet, 250 knots with the gear down. And, mm -hmm. and he explained it to the passengers. He made a, a very long PA. He said, ladies and gentlemen, as you, you know, know, we had to go back to the gate because of the weather reroute. And now the weather has moved on and ATC wants to give us direct. But we would either have to hold for like an hour and a half to burn this much fuel or we can leave the gear down, which will be noisy and, you know, make a lot of noise and vibrate in the aircraft. But we'll be able to get you there a little quicker. So that's what we're going to do. And so, you know, mm -hmm. we, we did that. And then every controller that we got handed off to was like, uh, 
uh sandpiper do you have pastors on board <laughs> yes <Yeah>. we do <laughs> oh yeah okay uh do you want direct yeah. unable <laughs> so yeah. yeah we ended up getting there but yeah it was like it was comical yeah. it was like a clown clown airplane man <laughs> yeah yeah and i think i think along along the years uh you know with the dispatchers and the atcs and the liaisons we have and and you know sandpiper and legacy airlines socs you know with the atc and company liaisons they they i think they've worked that stuff out a little better in the past year so um atc and the controllers know yeah no better uh, better off uh better not do that too much yeah and in this stage of the game as well uh, you know flying who we fly for at legacy airlines i mean i think we we're in a, a little higher tier of uh of flight planning and and prioritize sure and so yeah. yeah i think we've been yep got a little better handling at least uh where we sit yeah. right now and it, you know it was it's normal you know you have you're much yeah. bigger and holding more fuel more passenger more payload so yeah to get yep. a little bit higher priority in those routes it's normal yeah but recently right we talked about uh recently um i had a bunch of jump seaters like mm. First time in a long time, I had a, a, both jump seats full coming and going out of Nashville. And it was because what was happening was the 33rd annual Women in Aviation Conference, or Women in Aviation Conference. Um, so we had two jump seaters, and they were very happy to get to Nashville that night, um, St. Patrick's Day. So we thought, hey, is there a party in Nashville? And they're like, no, 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 it's the Women in Aviation Convention, the first one since COVID. They're like, oh. So we got to hear all about the event and what was happening. And the next day, uh, as we were returning from Nashville back to, to Charlotte, actually, um, we got to hear all about the conference. Um, fantastic event. And I just wanted to share a little bit yeah. uh, with it with all of you. I'll put a link in the show notes here, but the WAIWhiskeyAlphaIndia.org website will tell you all about women in aviation program now the 33rd annual international women in aviation conference happened on the weekend of march 17th through march 19th it was in nashville tennessee at the gaylor opry resort and convention center this three-day gathering provided plenty of networking opportunities as well as career development at education sessions professional development seminars and industry briefings So according to WAI.org, the three-day annual conference bests all expectations for attendance and exhibitors. Wow. Women in Aviation International held one of its largest and most successful annual gatherings during the 33rd Annual International Aviation and Women Conference at the Gaylor Opryland Resort and Convention Center in Nashville, Tennessee, the weekend of March 17th through the 19th of 2022. With its unique blend of world-class speakers, busy exhibit hall, and array of education sessions, and 103 scholarship awards, the WAI 2022 conference delivered numerous opportunities to connect and network with female peers in the aviation and aerospace industry. According to Allison McKay, the CEO of WAI, the strengths of WAI lays in the celebration of so many like-minded women who came together to share their passions for aviation and aerospace, support each other, learn from each other, 
and foster the next generation of aviation. We hosted dozens of networking and education sessions, assembled another extraordinary group of keynote speakers, honored three trailblazing pioneers during our annual Pioneer Hall of Fame induction, and presented more than $473,000 in scholarships to deserving WAI members. Thanks to the generous support of our sponsors and our passionate members, an impressive collection of exhibitors. The WAI 2022 was an amazing venture to commemorate Women's History Month and advance our mission to connect, engage, and inspire our current and future workforce of diverse and accomplished members, she added. So this was a very successful event. Um, We had a couple pilots on our jump seat, as I mentioned, on the way back um, the next day, and one of our union uh, representatives was there who she did a presentation, um, said that it was a fantastic turnout. And what impressed me, and, and it's always impressed me because I've known about women in aviation for a long time. We've actually been guest speakers at a chapter of uh, women in aviation in Detroit, right? The Riveters. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Um, that was a fantastic experience uh, yeah, that was. on its own. And, you know, I'm very grateful to have had that opportunity to speak to those young men and women. Uh, But it's not all women. The attendees were 68% women and 32% men. Uh, It included over 4,500 people that attended, 65 international representatives from 16 countries, including Canada, Ghana, Nigeria, Zimbabwe, Ireland, Brazil, Germany, Singapore, Belize, the United Kingdom, and others. The exhibit hall hosted a 176 separate companies and organizations that represented all aspects of the aviation community, including drones. Wow. Wow. Very interesting. Wow. A special tribute to Wally Funk, WAI Lifetime Member 26, for her trailblazing trip to space aboard Blue Origin's New Shepard and for receiving NAA's 2001 Catherine and Marjorie Stinson Trophy. Wow, cool. The the, the 34th Annual International Women in Aviation Conference, put this down in your uh, notebooks, folks, will be held February 23rd through the 25th, 2023 at the Long Beach Convention Center in Long Beach, California. For more information, visit www.wai.org forward slash 23 conference. Very cool. Have you ever uh, attended any of these women in aviation? I've never done anything like that. No, I I do know that uh, the WAI is one of the most popular ones. The most uh, um, draws one of the biggest crowds, you know, as far as uh, those type of, uh, you know, career aviation um, conventions are concerned with. But uh, uh, there's, you know, obviously there's other ones for, you know, the, what is it called? The Gay Pilots Association. I forget what the, there's yeah, ones for that. Gender equality. It's, yeah, I'll have to look that up. Yeah. That's, those are all worthy yeah. causes. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And OBAP. Um, you know, there, yep. there's so the, many different organizations. Yeah, so you name it. Do a Google search. Find yeah. out what maybe you feel like there isn't a club or organization that might cater to your particular interests or lifestyles, but I'm guessing there is. You just have to look out yeah. for it. 
definitely, definitely. And it's great, great, great uh, forum to network and, and get your name out there and get in front of, you know, the companies and the recruiters and technology. And, um, you know, that's, that's the way to do it. Uh, it sure beats just hanging out at, a, at an FBO <laughs> waiting for that <laughs> corporate pilot or airline pilot to walk in the door. Yeah. You know, hey, you get my resume. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Well, as we wrap up the show today, I wanted to share some audio feedback that we received from one of our fantastic listeners and occasional special guest, Alex D has started his journey in aviation over at Sandpiper Airlines. We're very proud of him. You may recognize Alex from some of our previous shows, even a Cessna flight that I took and recorded a podcast in the middle of. Mm-hmm. That was fantastic. Thanks again, Alex, for that. Uh, well, he sent me an audio file the other day and asked me to share about his progress at Sandpiper. And here it is. Hi, Tony. Alex Dagle here, giving you an update on my career progression as I'm going through it real time. I flew out to Sandpiper HQ on Wednesday, March 9th, stayed in a hotel. I'm not going to mention any names, but there definitely were two trees involved. Uh, They put me up for the night and uh, we met in the hotel the next day for orientation and in brief and payroll starting getting us through the process of going through our badges and getting us uh, dates and kind of in line with what's going to be going on with the training sequence. They rank seniority based off of three tiers. Uh, I guess tier one would be considered your cadets, and they are the pen and ink date of when they sign their contract, uh, interview date of seniority. The next tier is any prior 121 experience, and they're based off of hours. And then tier three or group three would be uh, everybody else where I fall, and that's all based off of age. Uh, As it stands right now, I am 13 out of 47 in that orientation class. There were five cadets and three prior 121s in front of me, plus a handful of the uh, regular folk uh, that were older than me uh, as it stands Right now, I'm looking at going to class either April 4th or April 18th. They're trying to work out all the details to let me know, let everybody know of when training is going to look like. So I'm looking at either April 4th or April 18th, and then it's full steam ahead, 74 days of training to get me through and get me into IOE. Look forward to keeping you guys updated of my progress and uh, everything else that's been going on. Thanks, guys, for what you do. Have a good one. So that was interesting. And thank you so much, Alex, for sharing that, because I I really didn't know about the three-tier system over at Sandpiper. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, I like that. So if you're a cadet, if you got in the cadet program, which we've talked about here on the show, we've had cadet recruiters uh, on the show. Mm -hmm. We've asked them, you know, what they're looking for, how the best course of action is to get into the program, you know, what they're looking uh, to avoid, all those positive things. And I knew that once you signed the contract with the cadet program, you got a seniority number. And so when you finally had enough hours and went through the program, got hired on with the Sandpiper or one of the Holy Owns, then 
when it comes time to selecting a base and aircraft, day one, you get to go in order by your hire date. Whereas everyone else has to follow what I thought was the age thing. I didn't know about the second tier. No, neither did I. Yeah, yeah so it sounds like uh, it goes by the cadet program. And based on when you signed your contract, that was a tier one. Uh, tier two was the 121 guys based on flight time. Mm-hmm. And tier three he said it was everybody else based on, what was it, your age? It age, yeah. Yeah. Because when you and yeah, I got that, hired, well, that was it. It was based on your age. Yeah. So if you, age, were in a, yeah. if you were the oldest one in your class, you got the number one pick by age. And if you well, were... That's, that's kind of how it happened for me. You mean, uh, I mean, you, like you just said it was, but I mean, literally I... I had probably the most advantageous position in during my interview because when I was there, uh, the recruiter came up to me specifically and they said, okay, Rob, this is where you get to learn about seniority. (laughs) You're the oldest one here today. And so the decision is yours. There's one seat available in the training class that begins on Monday and it's Thursday and I'm interviewing. Mm-hmm. So, hey, it's yours if you want it. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, I'll take it. So, and if I was, you know, not as old as I was then, I would be waiting two weeks to get in the class. So uh-huh. uh, I'd have a two week, uh, <laughs> two weeks doesn't sound like much, guys, but it makes all the difference in the world uh, in some scenarios. Yeah. So, seniority, seniority is everything. Is everything. Yes. Seniority um, is everything. You know, you could be uh, off by one seniority number. Yeah. You know, exactly. You could Number be the lowest. 843, as far as the Nikolai word, right? Yeah. 842 is the cutoff. You're 843. You miss out on a lot of stuff. Right. One seniority number. Yep. Yeah. One seniority number could make or break your quality of life. So yep. definitely, I mean, not that you have to, you know, throw some elbows. Warren letters. <laughs> yeah, Warren letters. You know, <laughs> right? when, when we went Everybody through all this. Everybody knew who was the most junior guy who wasn't going to get one. Yeah. Because... The very next guy got it. Yeah, when we talked about the domestic air, our friends over at Domestic Air, they had what was a save, save Brandon, uh, because Brandon was the most junior guy. Uh, He was going to get furloughed. (laughs) Save Brandon, not, not, not. Let's go, Brandon, but save Brandon. (laughs) Different thing. Uh, well, Rob, you know, uh, again, thank you to Alex for sending us that audio. We love the audio, so keep them coming. And congratulations, Alex, man. That's very exciting. Um, you're, you got a very, very bright future ahead of you. Great, great career. You're going to love it. I uh, look forward to uh, hearing more about your adventures here pretty soon. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and thank you, Rob, for joining us today. I know how busy you've been and, and how the schedules, how tough they've been. And, you know, you, you're like, yeah, I can make it today. And let me just grab some food when we land. And then I'll, uh, yeah. and you text me, oh, I'm at the restaurant. And I'm like, yeah, hey, take your time. I just ordered a pizza anyway. So, so now yeah. I'm going to. Well, I'm, I'm happy we did it. Uh, you know, I, I look forward to doing this every chance we can. I enjoy uh, talking with you and talking shop and aviation and stuff. You know, this is stuff that, I enjoy and you know I missed I missed the last few and I apologize but yeah it's been busy but I love doing it man so it's good to be back. Yeah and you know Can't Roger wait to the next one. 
Oh, uh, me too. I'm always looking forward <laughs> to the next one. And we have some exciting ones coming up. I, I'm not just saying that. Very good. You know, and I talked to Captain Roger today. We had a long conversation before the show. Um, he unfortunately uh, had to fly. He was uh, actually at the FBO in San Francisco when we were talking about it. And wow. he was getting a lot of stuff done. And, and he was taken off. And he was going to be taken off right when we started recording. So, um, you know, good luck, Roger. Hope you have a boring flight. Uh, and Kyle, yeah. Kyle, my God, man, that, that young man, he, how yeah, he's, he's got, got a <laughs> newborn toddler in his house. He's busy with work and everything else. I don't know where he fits time in his day for himself. He's, he's a busy guy, busy guy, <laughs> you know, he's taking care of the family, the baby, yeah. the new home, the, all the honeydews and projects that he wants to get done. Yeah. And on top of that. Yeah. He's there in Dallas trying to figure out that schedule and, and keep it all. He's setting the bar really high for us, man. Yeah. <laughs> for us so guys. we wish you luck. Uh, also, Kyle, I know uh, Kyle's reached out to me a couple of times saying, man, I'm really sorry. I really want to join you guys more often. But, you know, we totally understand. We'll we'll take we'll yeah. take it when you yeah. can when you can give it, Kyle, uh, all your yeah, your totally. advice. Oh, please help us out. By sharing this podcast online and with your friends, make sure you subscribe or follow to the Squawk Ident podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. If you're new to the podcast world and just checking us out, man, thanks a lot. We really appreciate it and we could use all the support we can get. We also love receiving the listener feedback like the one we just heard. Um, so you can send us an email or you can even send us an audio feedback. What I suggest for most people is just record a quick voice memo on your phone on the on the voice app or whatever recorder app and just attach it to an email. You can go right to our website at aviatortony.com. That's alpha, Victor, the number eight, Romeo Tango, Oscar November Yankee.com. There you can send us uh, an email, an audio file, and you can also check out all of our archive tabs the photos from the flight line the guest book photo tab uh, there's a pilot shop there you can order t-shirts and hats and mugs and things like that if you are so inclined to do a very very small portion of each sale does go to help finance this podcast speaking of financing this podcast you can do what some of our listeners have done and that is contribute financially to the show either a one-time donation a dollar or two or five bucks or whatever you can afford if you can or you can be a recurring donator and that's right there on the homepage. facebook youtube and instagram users you can find us under the squawk ident podcast again a big final thank you to rob d for joining me today and thank you to all of you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there. Be safe and take care of each other. Bye, y'all. See ya. See you later. Man, where's that pizza? Adios. I got a beer here somewhere. What's that? <laughs>
Vector, over, five. Do you know anything about planes? Clearance, Clarence. Roger, roger. What's our vector, Victor? It's an entirely different kind of flying. 